songs that I think God has put in my, my life and my heart that like bring me back to those moments that he just moved in significant ways. That, that song we just sang, All I Have is Christ, was a song that I first heard at a conference, a Sovereign Grace conference, uh, and, and, and I remember it very clearly because that was one of the, those aha moments where God was calling me. I, I was working at, uh, as the Minister of Activities and Outreach at First Baptist Mount Washington, just down the road, and it was in that moment where I realized that, all right, if we're going to plant a church, I can't keep working there. And so I need to, I need to if I'm going to get other people to get on the bus, I need to be fully on the bus. And so it was in that moment that I remember saying, all right, Lord, you've called me to be faithful. And whether this, this thing that you've called us to falls flat <laughs> or, or you blow it up and, and do something amazing, I'm going to be faithful. And, and it was that song that I remember God using as he's working on my heart in that moment. And so uh, it was good to sing that this morning, Jeremy and, uh, and Julie. I appreciate that. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 12 for continuing our journey through the book of Luke. And if you recall, as you're turning in, if, you're, uh, if you've got one of our Bibles, it's page 964. Uh, actually, 965 is where we're going to be at today, uh, at the very bottom, uh, and we'll actually go into the next page also. We're starting in verse 35 of chapter 12, and if you remember, throughout chapter 12, what we've seen is Jesus has been really teaching his disciples to have a heavenly perspective, right? Don't covet the things of this world. Instead, really look forward to and lay up your treasures in heaven. Don't Desire the things of this world that, that don't belong to you, in other words, but desire the, the treasures that you have waiting for, the inheritance that you have promised from God. Don't be like the, this foolish farmer who takes all of the, the, the proceeds and the benefits and the, the, uh, he, he's, he's getting rich, but instead of using that to honor God, what does he do with it? He stores it up so that he can have all these worldly pleasures in life. Don't be like that. Don't, don't be anxious about the things of this world. Instead, trust in your loving Heavenly Father that He will take care of you, that He will provide everything that you need to prepare you for, for heaven. So, so just you, you're free to give away your possessions. Uh, you're free to, to love others without worrying about having to take care of yourself. Don't, don't set your heart on building your kingdom, but set your heart on on God's kingdom. That's been the message that we've seen over and over in this chapter from Jesus. And so today Jesus continues this conversation. But the way that he does it is he points to his return. And he's trying to teach his disciples, encourage his disciples to be ready. If I was going to, if I'm going to title this sermon, that's what it would be. Be ready. He's teaching his disciples to eagerly anticipate and vigilantly prepare for his return. And so I, I want to be very clear about what we believe as a church. And so if you look at our statement of faith, and I'm going to put it up here on the, on the screen. This is what we believe about Christ's second coming. This is straight from our, 
statement of faith. God, in his own time and in his own way, will bring the world to its appropriate end. According to his promise, Jesus Christ will return personally and visibly in glory to the earth. The dead will be raised and Christ will judge all men in righteousness. The unrighteous will be assigned to hell, the place of everlasting punishment. The righteous and their resurrected and glorified bodies will receive their reward and will dwell forever in heaven with the Lord. So this is what we officially believe. And if you look throughout Scripture, the second coming of Christ is a major theme. In fact, most people are surprised by this, but in Scripture, the second coming of Christ is mentioned eight times more than the first coming of Christ. It's all over the place. In the Old Testament, uh, no less than 17 books mention it. In the New Testament, 23 out of the 27 mention his second coming. That's, uh, I believe, seven out of every 10 chapters in the New Testament talk about his second coming. That's one out of every 30 verses. And so obviously, this is a significant doctrine. This is, and it should be significant to us. It's extremely important to God. It should be extremely important to us. And yet, if we're honest, the second coming is not something that we talk about very often. We don't even think about it very much. And if I'm honest, this is, this is a sermon that I need to hear maybe more than anybody else in this room. Because often the second coming of Christ, it's out of sight and out of mind. It, and it doesn't help that our secular world looks at the second coming of Christ in the same tune is like the cow jumped over the moon. It's like, it's like this fairy tale, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's been 2,000 years. Where has he been, right? Did he forget about us? Is he ever going to come back? Well, Scripture actually gives us a really solid answer for that. Peter, inspired by the Holy Spirit, recognized that we would be tempted not to believe that he's going to come back. And so, in very pastorally, in 2 Peter chapter 3, and you don't have to turn there, but he, this is verse 8. He wrote this. He says, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved. You hear the pastor in Peter there. Beloved, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards us, not wishing that any should perish but that all should reach repentance. God is not slow to fulfill his promise. He is patient, waiting for his children to repent and believe. He's not slow. He's merciful. How many people watched the Kentucky Derby yesterday? Most of you. Okay. The whole world was watching it, and... For the first time in 145 years of the Kentucky Derby, the lead horse was, uh, he made a foul that eventually got him disqualified. In 145 years, no Derby steward had ever been put in that position to have to make that decision of whether or not that horse was disqualified or not. And if you're watching it, I mean, it felt like an eternity for them to make that decision. I mean, I can't imagine. I, wasn't, I don't even have a bet on any of the horses. I mean, I can't imagine being there, 150,000 people there, and many of them were, were betting on some of these horses and holding this ticket. And, and more than that, I can't even imagine being like the jockeys 
or the owners of those horses, the agony that they had to be going through in that 20 minutes must have felt awful. And it was interesting because the, the announcers at the beginning uh, kept saying that, if, if you're watching on TV, you saw this, they, they kept saying that, oh, don't pay attention to how long it's taking them to make this decision. This is typical. Uh, don't read into it one way or another. But as time went on, they kind of changed their tune a little bit. <laughs> and eventually they're like, okay, that's just bull. This is the Kentucky Derby. This is a huge deal. They're taking their time because they want to make the right decision. And even if you don't agree with the decision that they made, you understand why it took them so long. Because it was, a, it was an important decision. 150,000 people watching it live, people watching it around the world. In fact, uh, I, I read on ESPN that there were $9 billion that were lost by betters because of the disqualification. <laughs> nine million, not nine billion, sorry. <laughs> nine million, that's a little bit more. Not, but still, nine million dollars. I mean, I, I can't imagine being put in the position that, sh- the, the, that the stewards were put in in that moment. But at the end of the day, we're just talking about a horse race, right? God, who is no steward, he is the creator and the sustainer of our universe, our savior, is not just simply making a decision about who won a horse race. He's making the decision for billions of people and their eternity, their souls are at stake. And so it makes sense that we should be patient because God is being patient to make sure his children repent and believe. He is merciful to wait. And if it takes 10,000 years, that would be an appropriate amount of time. He is merciful. And so today's passage is Jesus teaching his disciples not to take for granted the patience of God. That his mercy actually calls us to a, a response. And so Jesus is calling us to be ready. And so what does that look like? That's what he's going to show us today in this passage. What does it look like to be ready for his return, to be prepared for his return? And he's going to show us three portraits. And so let's pray, and then we're going to walk through this passage together. Father, again, we confess that often we do not anticipate your return like we ought to. We, we don't look forward to it like we ought to. Often we buy into the, the, the world's lies and Satan's lies that you, you, maybe you're just not even coming back, that you don't really care, that you're not even there. Often we get so bound up in this world and we invest our lives so much into this world that we forget that this world is only here to prepare us for the next world. And so I pray right now that through your Holy Spirit that you would remind us of the glory that awaits us as we see your coming. And that we would long for that day. And that we would prepare for it now. For your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so picking up in verse 35, this is the first portrait He says, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. 
So literally, let your loins stay girded. And in other words, uh, tie up your robe, okay, in the context of back then, tie up your robe so that you can run. Uh, that, that's what he's, he's saying there. In, in other words, be ready, always be ready. He says, keep your lamps burning. Do not let your guard down. Be watchful. Verse 36, and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he, the the master, will dress himself for service and have them recline at table. And he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. Let's stop and talk about this for a minute. And so even if he comes in the middle of the night, even when he comes when nobody else is awake, even if everybody else is sleeping, you be awake. You be ready to welcome your master home. And the blessing here is amazing, isn't it? That the master will actually come and serve the servants. But that's the heart of Jesus, right? He said, I I came to not to be served, but to serve and to lay my, to give my life as a ransom for others. I mean, that's the, that's the beauty of the gospel. No other religion has a, has a God who willingly gives himself up and serves us. That's why Isaiah proclaimed, from of old, no one has heard or perceived by the, the ear. No eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. But it's an active waiting. It's not just a waiting where I'm going to relax and do nothing. Look at verse 39. Jesus paints a second portrait of what it means to be ready. He says, But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Now, Jesus paints a very similar picture, but there's a little bit different difference to this portrait, right? There, there's no servants. There's just a, ma- a master in his household. And so he's saying, look, don't be like this, this master who was caught off guard. Don't be like him. Now, and so what is Jesus saying here? Does, does he mean that Jesus literally could come back at any moment? Like right now. He could, be, he could come back at any moment, and none of us would see it coming. I don't think that's what he's trying to communicate here. A lot of people believe that. Okay? They, they, they look at, okay, the Bible teaches, and I do, I really do believe that the Bible teaches that Christ's second coming is imminent, but that does not mean that it's immediate. It doesn't mean that it could happen at any time, because you've got to read the rest of the Bible. There are signs of his coming. Uh, and even in this passage, the word if is, in, is significant because it implies that the master could have known, and in this context, he should have known and been ready for Christ's appearing. It shouldn't just be a surprise, a complete surprise to all of us. Now, Jesus has made it clear that no one knows the specific hour that he will return. So don't buy into some of those televangelists that say, look, I know specifically what date he's coming back, okay? We're not supposed to go there. But there are some signs. Uh, in fact, Scripture mentions several things that have to happen before Christ returns. For example, Matthew 24, the Great Commission will be fulfilled. Every people group, 
uh, will hear the gospel. We see that in Revelation. Every tongue, tribe, and nation will be worshiping before him. And so every people group will have an opportunity to respond and repent and turn to Christ. That's part of what will happen before he comes back, the Bible says. Uh, and I pray that that's in our lifetime. Uh, I think it's attainable. In fact, some people think maybe within the next couple decades we could see that happening as missions continue to increase to the ends of the earth. Also in Second Th- Thessalonians, we see that there will be signs of an apostasy and there will be this man of lawlessness will come. Jesus actually preaches a whole sermon in Matthew 24 and 25 about his second coming. He mentions several things that will have to happen before the end is near. And so the return of Christ is kind of like a, a woman who is pregnant and going to have a child, right? Like you don't know exactly, unless you're getting, and I understand in modern technology, you can actually set the date and, and, and have a, a baby. But back then, there was there is no uh, setting a date for when you're going to have a child. Back then, and, and Kim and I have experienced this with uh, two out of our three children where like we, we knew it was coming, but we didn't know exactly when it was coming, right? And so that's kind of like, it, it, and so as it comes though, there's some signs, like Kim would start nesting. She, she would get hyper-vigilant about making sure the house was, was ready for the child to come, and she would get very active doing that, and, and she would have these Braxton Hicks contractions. In fact, one time we actually went to the hospital, hospital and they sent us home because it was false labor. And eventually, though, her water would break, and she'd go into labor. And so there was signs there. And so as those signs came, we would get more and more prepared. We would pack our bags. We would get the car seat into the, into the car. I'd have my phone on me ready and waiting. Again, Jesus is saying, don't be like this master who is surprised. Be ready. Get prepared. Now, Peter, look at verse 41. <laughs> Peter's never shy. And he's often a little confused. And so Peter pipes up in verse 41, and Peter says, Lord, are, are you telling this parable for us or for everybody? Okay, so this is kind of like the, the guy in class who raises his hand to the teacher, and he's like, teacher, teacher, is this going to be on the test? Right? <laughs> is, it, is, this, is this for, for us? I mean, we're part of your inner crew, right? I mean, you're, surely you're going to tell us when you're coming back, right? Or, or, or is, this, is this for us? And notice how Jesus responds. He doesn't respond by giving Peter the direct answer, he responds by giving him another question. Look at verse 42. And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and the wise manager? Okay, so this is the third portrait. The faithful and the wise manager, whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will be he will set him over all his possessions. And now for a warning. Jesus gives specifically to, for those in leadership like Peter. But if that servant saying, says to himself, my, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and the female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know. And will cut him into pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given, 
of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. All right, so what does it mean to be ready? Okay, so let's walk through these three portraits once again. First, uh, even before we get to the portraits, think about the context once again. The context of chapter 12 is, look, you need to be ready by seeking not the things of this world, but by seeking the kingdom, things of the kingdom, his kingdom, God's kingdom. And so don't be overwhelmed by this world. Don't be infatuated by this world. Seek God's kingdom instead. And so that's one way in which we ought to be ready. But look at our passage today, and let's just walk through it again. Jesus paints three portraits, and each one of them gives us a little bit more of an understanding of what it means to be ready. The first portrait, look at verse 35. It says, be dressed for action. Okay, and, and in other words, waiting is not doing nothing. Jesus expects us to actively wait. There, there are things that the, the master expects us to do while we're waiting. We should be actively waiting. And then verse 35, he says, keep your lamp burning. Why would you do that? Why would you keep your lamp burning? Well, you keep your lamp burning because you're awake, you're alert, you're ready, you're on guard. And then verse 36 be like a servant waiting for their master, ready to open the door and welcome him home. Uh, Spurgeon, I love this, Spurgeon says you ought to be like a, a, a dog, okay? If, if you have pets, uh, especially if, if you have dogs. If you have cats, they don't do this. They, do, they don't care if you come home. <laughs> but a dog, if you, well, my dogs, if you know my dogs, this is like Roxy. This is not like Henry. Henry is kind of like a cat. He just lays down and does nothing. And when you come home, he might look at you. But that's about it. But Roxy, when he hears us coming home, he runs to the front of the driveway. He, and so you have to like slow down so you don't hit, hit her. And then she, she runs with the car back. And then while we're parking the car, she will do this lap around the whole, in her excitement, uh, the whole yard. She will do this, ra- this lap and then come and, and greet you at the, at the car door. And typically when I come home, what am I doing? Then I, then I, I go and just like, our parable here, I go and I feed Roxy. Henry might eat some of Roxy's food, but I'm just feeding Roxy because that's all, I'm kidding. But, but, but I, I love how, I mean, Spurgeon makes a really good point there. That, that, that's how we ought to be anticipating the return of Christ. We should be ready and waiting. In verse 37 and 38 what is the servant looking forward to? They are, this is exactly what they're looking for. They're looking forward to the blessing. They're awake. It doesn't matter what time of night. They're, they're awake. They're alert. Even if the rest of the world is not looking for him. Even if the rest of the world is sleeping, they can't wait for Christ's return because they're eagerly anticipating the blessing that comes with it. Now, the second portrait, Jesus says, don't be like this master who leaves his house to be broken into. In other words, be vigilant. Be vigilant to make yourself ready. And so this is a battle. We talked about the battle last week. This is something we constantly have to be fighting for to, to be ready, to be on guard, never letting our guard down. It, if you're not killing sin, sin will be killing you. Uh, old Puritan Owen said that. Uh, and it is so true. If you're not watchful, if you're not awake, if you're not alert, if you're distracted by things of this world, you won't see Christ coming. 
And Christ gives us some warnings because of that. And you see those warnings, especially in this this third portrait. Uh, It's about the faithful and the wise manager who is responsible for what? For caring for the other servants. And so he's called to do his master's will. He's, He's taking care of the household. He's not abusing them. He's not getting fat. He's not getting drunk. He doesn't have the mentality that, okay, my master is taking forever. I'm just going to do whatever I want to do, whatever feels right, whatever feels good. He doesn't get lazy. He doesn't get distracted by this world. He doesn't get pulled by the, the pleasures of this world. And so to be ready means to be vigilant about doing the will of your master. Listen, this is what I think Jesus is getting across to us in in these parables. If you want to be someone who has a life that is fully devoted to Christ, that is consistent in your walk, in your faith, one of the greatest motivational tools that we have is setting our mind and trusting in Christ's return. One of the greatest motivational tools we have is to keep our mind on the reality that one day Jesus will come back in all of his glory to judge the living and the dead. That should be a huge motivation. And that's why this passage has both blessings and warnings to look forward to when he comes. He warns those who are not ready, those who have invested in their their lives and, and things of this world rather than God's kingdom, those who have bought into the lie that, look, Jesus is not coming back. So do whatever you feel like doing. He especially warns those who should have known better, those who have heard the gospel and have rejected it, either outrightly or just by their actions, they've rejected it. Jesus' warning here is grave and it is descriptive. They will be cut into pieces and they will be put with the unfaithful. Obviously, he is talking about hell here. Matthew's even more graphic. He says, Jesus will, or God will cut them, cut him into pieces and put him with the hypocrites in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so we ought to heed these warnings. But for those of us who have trusted in Christ, who have been forgiven of our sins, and we look forward to to Christ's return, and we are vigilantly preparing for that and are are awake and ready. When Jesus comes back, we have amazing blessings awaiting us. When he comes back, he promises that he will serve us, that he will prepare a feast for us. In fact, Revelation calls it the marriage supper of the Lamb that we have to look forward to, that, that he will come back and he will encourage us by saying, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into, I love this, enter into the joy of your master. For all of eternity, we will enjoy the presence of Christ, our Savior. I want you to imagine that. This is, just not, this is not just pie in the sky kind of stuff. This is stuff that we should have before us, that we should use our imagination to, to look forward to. One day you will be face to face with Jesus Christ, your Savior. 
The creator of the world will be there right in front of you. In the streets of gold, new creation, new heavens, new earth, all of it. Forever and ever you will enjoy his presence. That should excite you more than anything in this world. That should excite you. That you should look forward to that more than getting your braces off. You should look forward to that more than getting out of school for this summer. You should look forward to that more than getting married. You knew I was going there. (laughs) You should look forward to that more than graduation, more than that next job promotion. In fact, the things of this earth that we look forward to are just foreshadows of something greater. I mean, think about it. We have been wired. God has wired us to anticipate things, to get excited about things that are coming to our future. But nothing that we anticipate on this earth ever fully satisfies us, does it? Because it was never meant to. It was only meant to point to something greater, something more amazing. And so let's think about this for a minute. Why have we gotten so excited about a silly movie called Endgame? Okay, how many people have already seen it? I won't, I won't give you any, no, no spoilers here, I promise. It's going to break all the records more than likely. But why did we get so excited about a movie? It's because we long to see good conquer evil, and we desperately wanted to see how it would turn out in the end. But that is just a foreshadow of Christ's return when ultimate good will defeat ultimate evil, and sin and Satan and death will have no more game in them. That will be their end game. It's a foreshadow, and so we anticipate. Why do we get so excited about our wedding day? It's because we can't wait to be united with the one who we deeply love. But that's just a foreshadow of when Christ returns, when we will be united with the one who shed his blood for you. Why do we get so excited about graduation? It's because we get to look forward to a day where we celebrate a great accomplishment that has prepared us for an even better future. But it's a foreshadow of Christ's return when he will give us a new heavens and a new earth that he has been preparing us for. Why do we look forward to to vacation? It's because for a moment we get to escape the pain and the suffering of our everyday life, but that is just a foreshadow of when Christ returns and forever and ever he will wipe away all of our tears and there will be no more pain and no more suffering. Why do we look forward to as kids Christmas? It's because we long to receive free gifts that we have not worked for and that we do not deserve. But that is just a foretaste of what is to come when Christ returns, when we will open up the greatest gift of all, eternity, life with him forever and ever. Listen, Jesus does not want part-time Christians. He wants fully devoted followers. If you want to grow in your consistency in your relationship with him, if you want to grow in your faithfulness to Christ, if you want to lead your kids and you want to lead your family to be fully devoted to Christ, then you need to set your mind on the return of Christ, that he is coming back in all of his glory. 
You need to pray that God would stir the affections in your heart to long for that day. And then you need to get dressed for action. Be vigilant to do the will of your master. Do not let the world distract you from this mission, the mission that he has sent you on to make disciples. Let's pray that God would help us with that, that he would stir our affections towards him. Father, how good is it to imagine the day that we will see Jesus face to face and he will embrace us with his arms in spite of the sin that we have committed. I pray that our hearts would long for that day that the hope that we have for the future would get us through the trials of this life and it would inspire us to be ready and vigilantly prepared for your coming. And that it would cause us to boldly proclaim the hope that we have of your return. That we would see others who long for that return. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.